if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Welcome to Christ in the Chaos, where a pastor's kid and a kid's pastor share their messy attempt at raising a Christ-centered family. We may not know what we're doing, but we are right in the thick of it. And this is how we're finding Christ in the Chaos. Welcome to Christ in the Chaos. This is Joel here with my wife. You mind not doing the bit? Joel. No, you used to say Kathleen. <laughs> is that how I sound to you? Is that how I sound to myself? Welcome to Christ in the Chaos. I'm Joel. Here with my wife. Kathleen. Ball staying in. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about salvation. So on that very serious note, let's talk about your eternal soul. But before we get to that, let's do the family check-in. Our weekly family check-in where we check in with each other and you should check in with your family. Kathleen's making a funny look at me, though obviously she doesn't care how I'm doing, but how are you doing? I care how you're doing. It's just that even I get sick of your explanation of the weekly check-in and I feel like nobody's listening. Well, maybe they, oh, maybe they would listen to Salvation as the first one. Just kidding. Our weekly check-in, no, just kidding. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I had a you fine, I've had a fine day. And we just had spring forward, not amped about that. Um, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm tired. Our house is freezing. My nap was interrupted today because somebody, I'm not going to name names, but he's sitting across the table from me, insisted that my warming blanket was on when it wasn't. And I woke up just shaking, freezing cold. And now I'm not feeling good. So I'm, I'm going to blame you for all of that. I'm sorry you're not feeling good. 71 degrees in the house, same as it always is. I Sorry you didn't get a nap today. I'm doing okay. Daylight I didn't, I didn't actually ask, but not how great. are you doing? Hey, daily savings time. Yeah, we just, it took us forever to get the kids to sleep because they're like on a perfect schedule to go to sleep at 8. And so at 8.50, yeah, 8.58, they were like, yeah, this is when we should fall asleep. Which is great that they're on such a great schedule. Except for now, time is different, apparently. Yeah. So there you go. Other than that, though, I'm doing I'm doing okay. And nothing exciting happened to me this week. I'm just chugging along. I did get in a fight with another attorney, but oh, yeah. we he all was wrong. heard about it already, Joel. <laughs> he came home, I'm buzzed about it. Actually, I should say he went home. He was supposed to come to the gym, but instead he drove home because he forgot me standing there with his little Ghostbuster backpack at the entrance of the gym waiting for Wasn't him. My Ghost, it was Dane's Ghostbuster backpack. It packed with your gym stuff that I packed for you and then waited nice. for you. Oh my goodness, you are angry tonight. It was a rough moment, guys. Let's get to it then. So today we are talking about salvation. And salvation is exactly what it means. It means that we are saved, rescued, helped. But I think that a lot of people hear the term saved and they don't really put a lot of work, time, effort, and energy into realizing what we are saved from. That's a good question. What are we saved from, Joel? Yeah. That is one of them, yes. I mean, actually, I think this is an oversimplified list because, again, this is based on a curriculum that I'm teaching to the kids. I think most of culture knows the story of Adam and Eve, right? They God made them a garden and 
he gave there was like one tree and he said that you can do anything you want, you know, frolic along naked and hang out and live in perfect peace forever. Um, but sounds just, great so far. Sounds great so far. But don't eat from that tree. The serpent comes along and says, what did God say was going to happen? He's, she said, well, she, he says we'll die. He says, you're not going to die. And so he just doesn't want you to be like him. And so convinced that she wants to have the knowledge that God has. Eve eats the apple, convinces Adam to take a bite. It's not an apple, the fruit. We just always draw an apple because that's like our most common fruit. The story is to convey the truth that uh, God made a perfect world and that humans sinned and that sin entered the world. That as a result of sin, we have to live a hard life. That at the end of we die, the souls that God gave us become sick with sin and it twists us up and keeps us picking ourselves over God over and over again. And um, the closeness that we enjoyed with God in the garden is broken. Um, because of this sickness that, that sin causes in us, we can't be close to God the way we were before. So when we say we are saved, the first thing it means is that we're no longer sick with sin. Um, once we are saved, our desire to do our own thing doesn't have, have to control us anymore. Um, and we set our eyes on doing God's thing. Um, one of the big questions that comes up around this is, well, if we're not sick with sin anymore, um, why, and like, if sin doesn't control us, why do people still sin? Because we're still in the before time or the between times. It's called the, the already not yet. Um, and the way my personal life hero described it to me was, um, a like white t-shirt that went through the laundry, um, with the reds or like with a red sock, um, where, that that white t-shirt when it when it went when it went in was dirty and it went through with the red sock and it is now clean. Um, but it will always be a little bit pink too. Um, until the time comes when Jesus, who I'm pretty sure in this metaphor bleaches is bleach. It? Yeah. yeah. And Jesus bleaches <laughs> our souls. We're living as a pink t-shirt um until then. Um, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, but the general idea is that. Our souls, which are sick from sin, when we ask for forgiveness, are cleaned, are made new, and we're no longer under the control of our sin. We talked about how in baptism, the old sinful you goes down into the water and you emerge uh, in Christ instead of in sin. And that is like that moment of God doing the work to bring you into a new life. The second thing you are saved from is that we are no longer facing death. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> well, let's get real. Our bodies are going to die. Our old bodies. Yes. So through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, which means that while our bodies will pass away, our souls have a future that will last forever. One of the things that people mess up a lot is they say like, oh, good, I have eternal life. So when I die, that's going to start. That is not how salvation works. Your eternal life starts when you are saved. The kingdom of heaven is now. Yes. We as a culture, as a like Looney Tunes, heaven and hell culture and what you learned from TV. Man, it's hard to get away from the Bugs Bunny hell and heaven. Yeah. The the idea that like you're saved from like the fiery, the guy with the red and the, the t yo, I forget it's a horns yeah. <laughs> you know and what spiked I mean. tail. It's been a long day. Um, and that, that when we say we have eternal life, it means we, we get to like bypass that and go by those pearly gates and go float on the clouds for a while. Um, but the reality is that your salvation and your eternal life begins, um, when you are saved, not when you die. 
The third thing we are saved from is that our relationship with God is fixed. We can have access to him like we've never had it before once we have been saved. And one of the best visuals of this is if you know the story of Good Friday, Good Friday, if you do not know, is the really terrible name that Christians gave the day that that Jesus was crucified. (laughs) I I wonder how he feels about that. (laughs) Hey, we remember the day you died every year. Oh, that's nice. What do you call it? Bad Friday? (laughs) One of the parts of that story that I think gets left out is that like at the moment Jesus dies, the veil in the temple, which separates like the people from where God is actually supposed to like sit on the throne. You can stop me anytime if I'm getting this wrong. No, that sounds about right. Okay. The outer temple from the inner but temple. Point, the point is in the temple, there is a, a veil which uh, separates people from God. And when Jesus dies, like spontaneously, the veil rips down the center. And basically what it's saying is that that separation between us and God um, doesn't have to be there anymore. Um what does that look like, though? Um, it means we have a renewed closeness with God. One of the one of the explanations I read was like, and this is, I think, very funny that like Jesus is like Jesus makes you new before God. Um, and the st- the picture was like Jesus holding like a sheet over you as you like got through judgment to be like, no, they're good, they're good, they're good, they're good. Um, but I think this closeness with God again is something that starts before death it's not like when oh, you invite the spirit i get to go live on the floaty clouds um it's at when salvation occurs in you through god which we'll talk about as our next big point you get to experience that closeness with god immediately <laughs> we're laughing because i just had like a 15 second pause while i thought through that moment <laughs> the next and i would say when we're talking about salvation it's not really fair to call one of them the most important point Um, But one of the things that gets messed up the most by even by Christians and honestly, even by Christians who believe in it um, is the idea that God does all of the work of salvation. It's such a not human concept of someone else doing something. I mean, there literally is an idiom of there's no such thing as a free lunch. Mm hmm. We have trouble wrapping our mind, even when you believe it, even when you are on board with, I do good because God loves me. God doesn't love me because I do good. It's still... You can't, even even if you know it intellectually... It's so hard to get it in your heart. One of the things we were talking about with the sacraments is the idea of being able to have a supernatural experience of, of this. And we call this, this idea of the unearned favor of God grace. Um, So when we're talking about a supernatural experience of grace, at least what that means to me is it's one of those moments where even though intellectually I understand grace, that it's a very hard thing to bring into your heart and to internalize. And that when you are baptized and when you receive Holy Communion, you get a chance to have a supernatural experience where that grace feels like a real thing that does make sense and is real. Otherwise, it's just so hard to to stop thinking of of please. You want to please God, but our instinct is always to treat everything like a a transaction in our mind. It helps me to visualize it as there's not just nothing you can do to earn heaven. 
but nothing you do gets you closer to earning heaven well, because everything you do falls so far short. I think even saying that everything falls short like puts the wrong idea in your mind, right? Because it's still like you're working, but you're only getting... You're not scoring any points. But so God had to say either the points don't matter or everyone's going to heck. And he decided the points don't matter. The way I'm teaching this to the kids is like if if you are a Christian that has listened to any contemporary Christian music in the last, I don't know, like... I'm going to say five years, probably the biggest song that has come out or one of the biggest songs that has come out is Reckless Love. And I realized that it's like a super, like it's not a hipster Christian song to like right now because it is like, like old enough to not be cool and got so big that, yeah, I mean, that's true. Maybe that's why I do like it so much. But the way of understanding grace in the simplest terms is the song goes, and I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. And I, on a regular basis, even though it is the most cliche and overplayed Christian song in the entire world, I hear those words and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I don't, it, it's like a reminder of my past and that I have God, even though I didn't earn it. And then it's also a, a an assurance for my future that I don't have to prove myself and I don't have to earn the love and I don't have to keep it going and I don't have to like manage the way God thinks about me because that that's not how it works. And when people describe Christianity as a type of freedom, right? Like I, you know, the chains are gone. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was a slave, but now I'm free. What it's freedom from is the idea that love is a transaction or something that you earn or something that you have to be good enough for. What Jesus came and modeled for us was the kind of big, impossible, unearned, sacrificial love on the cross for a bunch of people who did nothing to deserve it. And when you can see what Jesus did and you can internalize it and you can believe that that kind of love is for you, it changes who you are on the inside. And it changes the way that you love and it changes you into somebody who loves sacrificially and for those who don't necessarily deserve or haven't earned it. The third point is kind of the nuts and bolts of how this works. And I'm going to say right now, these are like the big nuts and the big bolts because there is, (laughs) sorry, I didn't, this is a family podcast. The reality is that the theological debates of how this actually works are actually endless. And the more I try to understand what people believe, the more overwhelming it is how little theological consensus there is on how this works. Let's just say it's one of those mystery things. But the underlying thing is that salvation comes from Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection. So the first thing is, how was sin defeated? The way the world works, apparently, someone has to feel the consequence for the sin that has happened in the world. Somebody has to experience that consequence. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's a fundamental law of the universe. Okay, sure. In order to carry the world's sin, the person that took everybody else's sin on them had to live a sinless life themselves. So Jesus, who is God, came to be born as a human, lived a life Uh, without sin, and so that when he was condemned on the cross, sorry, this language was cleared up for me recently. Sin was condemned when Jesus was put on the cross, and when Jesus died, sin was defeated. 
And that's kind of like the process of the defeat of sin. How that plays out on a deeper level is very seriously debated. Then there's death being defeated. And there's a couple different theories about this because my first theory that I thought I understood was like, oh, if sin is defeated and the consequence of sin is death, then that means by Mm -hmm. what is it like the transitive property uh, (laughs) death is defeated but then i guess there's like the christ victory i forget what it is it's like christus victor or something like that um theory that is more about the resurrection itself being the defeat of death but let's just say in the maybe yeah no in the big picture of things i mean you can i went down a rabbit hole of listening to like these interviews of uh, a theologian that i like reading his books as nt wright and they, he wrote some book and then he sat down with some guy giving him like different atonement theories and trying to explain what he meant by different things. And it was fascinating. But after I was done, I felt like I understood less of what happened with Jesus on the cross. But safe to say that through the death and the resurrection, the sin was defeated and death was defeated. When Adam and Eve sinned, our relationship with God was broken. And we can no longer experience that closeness with God that we had in the garden or at the beginning of time. Does that mean that God left people all alone in the meantime waiting for Jesus? No, God relentlessly pursued people trying to warn them and yeah, tell the them and are, guide them. There's like 50 prophets in the Bible, all those little books that are like, hey, guys, talk to God. God said, let's do it this way. No. Okay. Or like the Exodus where he like rescues his people and then he brings them into the promised land. And then they're like, yeah, but what if we just did our own thing? Let's do a golden calf. And yeah. Um, I know we've said it on this podcast a million times, but if you just grab a Bible and pull out the whole part between like Adam and Eve taking that bite of that fruit to the Jesus's birth on Christmas, it is so much percentage wise, wise of that Bible where people are being blessed and promised and led by God. And they keep going like, yeah, but what if we just did what we wanted to do instead? And so that that kind of explains why this big act was necessary to restore our relationship with God. This is another one that I definitely do not fully understand. That's why it's called Faith Basics and not Faith Theology or Faith 301. Actual explanation. Um, <laughs> but. One of the things that I know is that in prayer as part of this deal, like Jesus is our intercessor between us and the father and is the one who like brings our prayers and is like cleans them up and makes them good. There's just like this connection that was restored in these different ways. And part of it was in making us new. And part of it was in destroying the Adam self inside of us. And it's all complicated. And if you studied theology for a long time, you would understand it much better than I explained it. But in terms of the mechanics, it is that death and resurrection that brought the end of sin and death and this broken relationship with God. And that's all we really wanted to convey on what is probably one of the most difficult theological concepts in the world ever. So we started off today's podcast with a song, a song that we do like once a month and in kids ministry because it's a bump in song. Um, And it also does a good job of describing kind of, unfortunately, it makes it sound like what you need to do to be saved. So Romans 10, 9 is, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And while taken apart, that is true. 
um, if looked at too simply, it looks like you are the one doing the work of salvation. If you say Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, um, but that belief does not come from something from your effort or your energy or your goodness. Um, and that de- declaration that Jesus is Lord is not about yelling Jesus is Lord. It's about a submission um, to God in understanding that he is Lord and that he is in charge. And when um, when you make it sound like something you have to mm-hmm. do affirmatively, it becomes a little problematic and a little a lot harder to understand. Romans 10 is about reassuring frightened sheep of their salvation. That how do I know I'm saved? Well, you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he... Re- yes. Yes, I do. Okay, then you will be saved. Yeah. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. It's not necessarily a recipe for salvation. Yeah. Because there is a recipe for salvation. It, God did it. Yeah. He made the whole cake. Well, then let's get to the frosting on the cake that is this podcast and talk about... So that came up. So I picked our oldest up from school the other day. He's in kindergarten. And he comes over to me and he looks at me and he goes, I'm going to give the kid an initial name because I don't really want to bring the kid into it. He goes, Mommy, I punched Kay today. Which I was like, are you in trouble? And he's like, no, nobody saw me. It turns out that Kay had been sitting on top of him on the playground and holding him down and he didn't know how to get up and nobody could hear him when he was yelling. Um, So in order, I'm sure like if you've seen the kid in general and his physicality, punch may be a strong word for what happened, Um, but he probably used like he is so not used to like hitting or shoving um, that he used the word punch. And so we sat there and we had a very complicated conversation about what the steps should be if you find yourself in a physical altercation um, that you can't extricate yourself from, from just like walking away or yelling. And I'm not going to lie. I basically told him to just take it. Like it might change when he gets older and the kids can do more damage. And I don't know, because I certainly want, and I, and I actually made clear, I said an adult, um, if it's an adult that's hurting you like that, then you have my permission (laughs) to just wail on him. Um, But I'm like, if it's another kid, I don't know. I don't know if I made the right choice there. I don't either. I, I think he'll, if he needs to, if it's that bad, I think yeah, his instincts, his will, instincts kick will kick in. But I don't know. He's a good kid. I mean, Kay is a like 38 pound girl. So. And he is a 50 pound boy. <laughs> I mean, nope. He's you know a, what? We shouldn't be using that. Like He's a behemoth compared to her. But it was just like. I didn't know what to tell him in terms of whether to fight back. Cause I know that when I see that culture of parent, that's like, you need to fight back. If you get hit, I'm like, Oh, I know I'm not that person. Um, but I'm still not sure if being like going through the whole process with him and being like, you just need to do everything you can to physically move away without hurting the other person was the right answer. So maybe if you have an opinion, let us know because I'm not sure I nailed that one. You want to pray us out? Yeah. Dear Lord, thank you for doing the work for us. We know we couldn't do it without you. We know we can barely do it with you. And so 
thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for being with us and fixing that relationship that we couldn't fix so that we can live in the kingdom now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a second to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It helps others to find us and to be hashtag blessed by the discussions that we have here. If you want to contact us, you can reach us on Instagram at Christ in the Chaos, or you can email us at Christ in the Chaos Pod at gmail.com. Until next week, we hope you have a peaceful week. But even if you don't, remember that you can find us and Jesus waiting for you in the chaos. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. Oh, I messed it up. I couldn't remember what it was. This is going to go really well.